Greetings to all. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful view from up here. It's a blessing to see all that have come. Certainly thankful for that. Many missing over the morning hour that weren't here. And I think if you all would have come for this morning, I don't know if we would have been able to start on time. But a thought was shared this morning, and it's still, it's still sticking with me here. Brother Dan shared this morning, gave a picture. He felt inspired to give a picture of this Lord that we serve. So I think I'm going to try to give two pictures. You see if you can't connect these. Revelation chapter 1, I'll read just a small portion here. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 1, I'll start with. Verse 13. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the pass with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of of many waters. So there we have a picture of this Jesus. Now those of us, those of us that are fathers, those of us that are sons or daughters, we have fathers. You know, sometimes as, as fathers, we might do something that seems really strong to our sons or to our daughters. Sometimes it might kind of impress our children, maybe just because they're younger and it seems like, wow, you know, maybe splitting wood and look at the power of dad. You know, maybe it's nothing special at all. But sometimes those children, they look up and they say, that's my dad. And they may not say it, but they kind of feel that way. And I, I work with my dad and still at this time, he's a, he's a skillful man. Every now and again, deep inside, I think that's my dad. That's my dad. And so we have this picture of us of our Lord. We have a picture of us of the Father. And we have a picture of who God is, holy and righteous as he is. And we think of these angels and this stonework and, and the things that are happening, holy, holy, holy. As we think of the Father, do we think, that's my dad? Do we think, that's my dad? And we have a young man here today. That's his desire. We have a young man here this afternoon who desires to say, that's my dad. And so we want to come before him in humility. We want to come before him in meekness. We, we want to serve him right. And so we've come here this afternoon for a baptism. And looking at the crowd here, I, so many here I don't even know. I don't know where your heart's at. I don't know what your relationship with the Father is. This morning, some scriptures were read of the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation, relationship. That's what the Lord wants. That's what the Father wants. He wants relationship with us. He wants us to call him Abba, Father. How do we get there? How do we get there? I don't have anything in front of me here. I, I, I have the Lord just laid on my heart a number of scriptures. And so I, I will tell you, we're going to be going through some scriptures this afternoon. And I'm going to start in the Old Testament, and if, if you'll be patient with me here, we're going to walk through. We're going to talk a little bit about baptism. We're going to talk a little bit about what it is. Lord willing, we're going to talk a little bit about some blood and find out what the importance of that is. Let's, let's start back. If you, you're open to Revelation, let's go back. Let's go back a little bit. Um, <clears throat> be patient with me. I'm going off memory here. 
Exodus 29, a couple verses here. <clears throat> Exodus 29. I want to keep your Bibles out. If you plan to follow along here, have your fingers ready to page through some of these. Exodus 29, and I'll read, starting at verse 38. Now this is that which thou shalt offer upon the altar, two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. The one lamb thou shalt offer in the morning, and the other lamb thou shalt offer at even. And with the one lamb, a tenth deal of flour, mingled with the fourth part of an hin of beaten oil, and the fourth part of a hin of wine for a drink offering, and the other lamb thou shalt offer it even, and shalt do thereto according to the meat offering of the morning, and according to the drink offering thereof for a sweet savor, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak there unto thee. Day by day, day by day, morning and evening, sacrifices, sacrifices, animals coming, blood shedding, every day, day by day. Why? Why blood? Why does God require blood? Leviticus. Turn with me to Leviticus. Leviticus 17, let's go to verse 11. Just verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. There's life in the blood. Sin brings death. With sin, there's death. There's an opportunity for life with sin. But with blood, in the Old Testament, there was an atonement made. There was, in this sense, a forgiveness made. Blood. There is life in the blood. This blood was limited, though. This blood was limited. But so they gave it. It was a commandment of the Lord. It was the old covenant. It's what they had. It's what they went by. Sacrifice, morning and evening, day by day, day by day, continually, continually, bloodshed and bloodshed. Isaiah. Chapter 1. <clears throat> the words of the Lord here, let's, let's start with verse 10. Start with verse 10. Prophet Isaiah, Chapter 1, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. And I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hateth. They are tr a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands 
I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Cease there. What was God trying to get at? What was God trying to get at with all these sacrifices? What was he trying to bring the people to? What was God aiming for? He was aiming for the heart. He was aiming for the heart. It's almost like you have a child who comes and does something bad and says, I'm sorry, and does it bad again, and says, I'm sorry, and does it bad again, and says, I'm sorry, and never has victory over this thing, never overcomes this thing. He just continually falls and falls and falls and falls. He doesn't even have a desire to overcome, it seems. And God says, I'm done with this. I'm not looking for this. I'm looking for some ceremonial practice or some law like, I want your heart. I want you to follow me with all that you have. I want you to give me everything, and I want a relationship with you. But see, within me is holiness and righteousness, and I am just, and I cannot abide in sin. I want you to be free from this. I want your heart. I want your heart. I want you to call me daddy, and I want you to call me my son, and I want to be one with you. That's what I wanted. That's what I wanted this whole time. No more sin. How do we get there? How do we get there? Maybe it's best let's, let's pause here and sing a song. We'll continue on. Song 183. Sing verses you brothers would choose. 183.
Let's all arise to pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before thee now this afternoon, we have before us the most holy work we look forward to. We have before us the ministry of reconciliation. We have before us the reality of two becoming one. And we pray, O God, that thy presence would be felt here in our midst, that thou would be the leader, the director, that we would simply yield all and follow thee. We pray for our friend Zeb. Lord, thou hast given him much grace. Thou hast brought him to this point in his journey. Strengthen him. Give him boldness and courage. May he never look back. Each soul gathered in this room, dear Lord, it's impossible for us to know what the needs are here. We trust thee, Lord, that thou dost know all things. And in somehow, in some way, through the scriptures, through the willingness of any of us, and especially this weak speaker here, that thy word would be fulfilled in the ears of the hearers. That somehow, a message will be brought forth, clarity could be given, preparation for the work ahead, comfort, answers for the trouble in the hearts of those that may be gathered here in this room. And Lord, it's not that we have any answers. It's not that we have anything to give. But yet, Lord, thou hast given us all that we need. Thou hast given us thy word. We're thankful for its preservation to this day. We think of this word that we hold and all the persecution and all the years and all those that have attempted to burn it up and throw it away and rid of it, and yet we still have it today, a promise directly from thee. We have thy word. We are thankful, Lord. Help us to hide it in our hearts. Help us to eat it as if it were our, our sustenance. We, we, we cannot live without this word. Help us, Lord, to be living and breathing by thy word. We pray for the souls that are gathered here this morning that are troubled. We pray for those that are gathered here this morning that come to a baptism service and unsettled. Maybe it's convicting. Maybe they desire to be there. Lord, we pray that thou put their finger upon them, almost as if they could feel thy hand upon their back, leading them and directing them and showing them the way. That their troubled hearts could be stilled, knowing that there is a way out of the bondage of this world, that there is a way and an answer to all the world's problems, and they're found in thee, and what thou hast done for us, our Lord and Savior, so many years ago, and so still today, we follow thee. And those of us that have followed thee into the watery grave and have risen a new man, Lord, we pray that thou would give us grace to continue on in an ever-changing world, in a world where there are winds of doctrine all around us, in a world that is many temptations in a world that is confusing, a world that is offering so many solutions and variations of truth, turning everything upside down into relativism, and we don't even know which way is up. Lord, thy Holy Spirit, we trust, will be able to guide us into all truth. And we pray, Lord, with that, that he would do that further on yet this, this afternoon hour. So we look to thee, Lord, to guide our lips and the words that will be spoken. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, this morning, the brother mentioned about the difficulties of this world and being stuck in the mire of this world. The sinking sand that it is. And a picture came to mind with that, too. Back home, we have some steer. We've got uh, 
some, some livestock. And they crawl around back there in a certain path they go through. And when it's rainy and wet outside, it gets really muddy, really wet, really soupy. And I've got a son who's back there doing chores. I didn't notice it right away. When I looked at him from a distance, I noticed he seemed kind of stuck. I paid attention to him and saw he was even crying. He had his boots tied up there real nice. He was stuck in the mud, almost to his knees. Stuck. Not going anywhere there. Bondage. What's the answer for someone like that? What's the answer for someone stuck in that miry, stinky, smelly mess that this particular scene was? I suppose I could have walked up to him. I could have walked up on a side where there was good, good ground, good footing. I could have walked up and gave him some encouragement. I could have told him, it's not so bad. I could have, I could have shared some words. I could have sang a song to him. I, I could have made him feel a lot better. I, I could have encouraged him and, 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 and gave him strong, bold words and, and told him everything is going to be all right. He could have accepted those words. Now, how foolish would it be if I turned around and let him there, stay there, right there in that muck, right there in that mud. There he is, there he sits in bondage, still stuck in that mess. How foolish would that be? Is that what Jesus came to do? To, came at all, to offer to us, make us feel better, to bring some flowery words, some nice sounding songs, kind of tap our fingers in the cars we drive along, praising God, bring out the guitars, have some fun, feel good, have a like ice cream social every now and again, something fun, makes us feel good, sing some Christmas carols every now and again, warm our hearts, make us feel good, a little bit of therapeutic Christianity is that what we're called to. Is that what we're inviting the world to? Is that what you want, Zeb? That boy needs to get out of that miry clay. He needs to be saved out of there. I'm going to be bouncing around a little bit here, I feel, in the New Testament. I'm looking at Galatians chapter 2, verse 17 right now. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. The doctrine of justification. I'm going to try not to get too theological here. Just as if I never sinned. Probably many of us have heard that. Just as if I never sinned. But if we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? Is he the helper of sin? As I sit there and speak to my son and encourage him and sing songs with him and he's sinking in this mud, am I the helper of sin? Twofold the children of hell. What did Christ come to do? What did Christ come to do? How and what is justification? It's really not as complicated as some make it out to be. I don't know that volumes of books need to be written to understand it. It's pretty simple. I think we complicate it because we try to justify sin. But there's something far more powerful than that. There's something far more courageous offered from our Lord than, than feeling good. There's victory from this life. Turn with me now. Um, let's go to Mark. I believe it's Mark toward the end. Mark's gospel. 
verse 16. It's chapter 16, verse 16. Mark 16, 16. <clears throat> I'm just going to read half of this verse. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. When we read that word saved, I think, I, I think I'd like to put a different picture there for the word saved. I think when we get the word saved, we think, I'm good. I, I don't know what this is. I got my ticket. Here it is, my ticket to heaven. I'm saved. I'm good. I'm going there. Stamped, saved, justified, just as if I never sinned. Here it is. We go off on our way, living like we've always lived, doing like we've always done. Running into the same problems we've always had. Still have marital issues. Still short-tempered. Maybe a little bit of pornography off the side. A little bit of masturbation going on. Can't seem to have victory over it. Don't worry, Jesus will give you power over that. Continue on. Jesus is there. His blood will cover and cover and cover and cover. I'll tell you what, that's not how the blood works. The blood is far more powerful than that. Jesus is far more powerful than that. When you look at this word saved, if I can offer this, Whenever we read the word saved, can we think rescue? Think of my son sitting there in that mess. If I said, you're saved, and let him there. That's not what Jesus came to do. He that believeth and is baptized shall be rescued, shall be taken from that miry mess. They will be saved from their sins. Saved from their sins. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. From their sins. Out. No more, no more of the burnt offerings, no more of the blood again and again, no more of that. From their sins, away from, not in your sins, from your sins. If there's someone here today that struggles and struggles and struggles and struggles and struggles and struggles, don't you want to be free from that? Don't you want to be released from that? Don't you want power and victory over that? I did. Brother Dan did. There's many in this room here that have sought that. You can speak to that. Are we living that victorious life? Matthew chapter 1, the same thing is said in Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Washed from our sins. The blood of Jesus is far more powerful than the atonement of the Old Testament. Far more powerful. So much so, let's say it this way. If you want to turn, I think it's in Matthew chapter 11. I'm not going to. John the Baptist. Among women, there was not born anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. He who is in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. How we process that? Who's your, who's your, your favorite prophet? I, I've got some favorites. I, Jeremiah is a favorite. Micaiah is, is not a whole lot written about him, but he's one of my favorites. Who's your favorite prophet? Here he is. Here's John the Baptist. Here is Zeb. Prophets, John the Baptist, Zeb. How? Oh, is that not humbling? Does that even make sense? Jesus said it. He who in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Why? How? What did John do wrong? John didn't do anything wrong. John didn't have the opportunity that you and I have. Jesus' blood was not yet shed. 
There is something so powerful about the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It delivers us, it frees us from the bondage of sin. You and I today have the power to be free from sin in a way that John the Baptist never had opportunity. John the Baptist never had opportunity like you and I have. He who is in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, John the Baptist. What is this kingdom of heaven and how powerful is that? Let's go a little bit more into this blood of Christ. And if we're going to be looking at the blood of Christ, we're going to have to be in Hebrews. If you're going to study the blood of Christ, you're going to look at that and what what it does for us. I'm going to read a little portion here in Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, I'll just start with verse verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. Make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come, to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every prince, every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down. He sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is witness to us. For after he has said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, in their minds I will write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I don't know what kind of filter you've got, but Eric, on this pond out here. I don't know how pure that water is. It hardly matters. What makes the water pure is the blood of Christ. What gives the water power to wash away sins is the blood of Christ. That is where the blood of Christ is applied. That is where the blood of Christ is called upon. That is where the blood of Christ cleanses. And then from there on, we have a high priest. It is now Christ. But no more the blood of Christ. We don't sacrifice Christ again and again and again. And take a look in Hebrews, and you find that out in there. Christ's blood is powerful. <clears throat> this morning I read about the ministry of reconciliation. How far should I go into this? The, the word atonement, atonement models. You, you maybe have heard these things before. It's an Old Testament concept. It's a covering concept. But in the New Testament, you'll find the word atonement one time and one time only. And even there, it means reconciliation. Reconciliation together with the Father. That's the desire. But in order to be together with the Father, sin has to be washed away. We can't keep our sin and have an umbrella over us by the blood of Christ and think that's going to be okay. It's not okay. When Jesus prayed his high priestly prayer in John 17 and said, I want them to be one in us like you and I are, Jesus said to his Father. You and I, one, with them, one. So we're all one. We're in them and them, they're in us. And this is a oneness together. No sin can be there. And that's more than just some some theological stance. That's beautiful. It's peaceful. In Ephesians 2, you'll find where it talks about 
the, the definition of peace. In Webster's Dictionary, if you're looking for a definition of peace, it should have this verse in Ephesians 2 of Twain 1, breaking down the wall of separation. Enmity is there no longer of Twain 1, of two 1, of two people 1. We're now one with the Father. And with that, we go on. With that picture, we go on. In 1 Peter 3, toward the end, there's, there are some things that, that some will make some, some trouble with about baptism. and It's an answering of a good conscience, it says. I'll challenge you on that. Baptism doth also now save us. Baptism is the answer of a good conscience. A few hours from here, you've got an ark. You've got a massive ark that was constructed. Massive ark. Said to be to scale. I measure it myself. I trust that's the case. And as my family was there, there were eight of us at the time. We have more than that today, but there were eight of us. And that verse in 1 Peter 3 toward the end talks about eight souls being saved by water. Eight souls being saved by water. Lift it up. As God baptized the earth, and flushed and washed away all the sin. God baptized the earth. And Peter is saying, that is what you need to have in mind when you think of baptism. That is what I get, and I have the opportunity and the privilege to think about, and that is what Zeb gets to think about, entering into these waters here, the pure waters made powerful and cleansed and pure by the blood of Christ. That is what we have in mind when we think of the flood, and we think of baptism, a washing away of sin, not, not a covering. A covering, a washing, a cleansing, a washing of sin. And as I walked through that ark, I, I looked around the eight of us that were on that thing, and, and that was some personal connections there. And I turned around, and I, I looked, I just looked out on the ark, and I saw all the visitors there. And my heart was just broken. And there were some taking some pictures, and there's a big old door there, and they were mocking and laughing and trying to push on it. Trying to open it up. It happened to be closed at that time. And they all had fun taking pictures. Taking pictures, trying to open that door up, laughing and, and snapping some pictures. My wife and I sat there. Just wonder what that would have looked like some years ago when that door of the ark was shut. It wasn't Can Ham that shut it, it was God. What would that have looked like? The banging on the ark, the screaming, the pleading, away with sin. But even though there was a cleansing of the, and a baptizing of the world then, and that's a picture of baptism, and God gave us that picture, was everything okay after that? You still see some things happening after that. I think it was in a couple chapters later the Tower of Babel went up. God had to come down and visit him. How powerful, how wonderful is this blood of Christ. So what do we do with that? So we'll go down. The three of us were discussing just before the service how, how this afternoon should look. Some logistics. And you know, Brother Dan made a statement, and, and he said, when it comes to getting the, in the baptismal, in, in the water down there, I should say, in, in that pond, <clears throat> we're going to try and help Zeb out, hold him, and, and go down. And, and brother, I just, I want to be sure to get every, everything down, everything under. Sometimes the hardest part is getting everything under. The hardest part is holding down those hands, getting every, I want the hands, the knuckles, the fingernail tip. I'm editorializing a little brother. Down. I want everything down. Everything down. The hardest thing is to get the body down. Isn't that the hardest thing for us? Is to get the body down. Isn't that the hardest thing for you and I? We struggle, don't we? Don't, don't we struggle in the flesh? To get the body down. But once there's victory in Christ, He walks. We can stand up. We can be victorious. We can overcome. Doesn't mean that trouble will not come. Doesn't mean that we won't need a high priest. Doesn't mean, and if any man sin, doesn't mean any of that. Trouble's going to come. Temptations are going to come. But guess what? With the Lord, you now have him within you, living in you, the Holy Spirit as your guide and your comforter. Is that not beautiful? 
You're not shackled to sin anymore. You're not this little boy stuck in this mud, tied to his boots, crying. That's not you anymore. Now you're a new man. Now you're risen. Now you're freed. Now you don't have bondage anymore. Now you can go and walk and share and spread the joy, the peace, the peace that you have in your heart. Imagine that little boy was trying to save someone else from the mud and muck that was around him and neighbor next to him is saying, hey, yeah, give me a hand, all right, and the two of them are stuck in mud. How are you supposed to help each other out? Inviting them up to what? How are you supposed to get out? The Savior will lift you out of that mud, out of that mire. Let's not be the half-borns. In Romans 7, they said, the good that I would, I could not, and all those things, they struggle. Let's not be the half-borns that recognize sin but can never do anything about it. I'm going to read one more chapter here. Let's stay in Romans, chapter 12. Stay in Romans, chapter 12. We're going to need some, some marching orders now. We're going to need something here that after Zeb is welcomed into the kingdom of God in a few moments from now. What do you do? Okay, sins are washed and clean. We're pure before our Lord. Now what? Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, that to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophesy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth, on teaching. Or he that ex- exhorteth, an exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth, with diligence. He that showeth mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That, that, can we be that in this world? Can that define us in this world? Can that be on my gravestone? Can this definition apply to me? Can I, it's a high calling. We can't do it. Not in our own power in this way but with the grace that God gives us, with his Holy Spirit being cleansed in the baptismal waters. We can do it. We can do it because Jesus came to this earth and he did it. And he did it in the flesh, so you can do it. So I can do it. So we can be at peace with our God. So we can be reconciled with him. So we can be pulled out of that miry clay and go into this world and proclaim victory. The world's got problems today. The world's anxious today. Did you hear about the new Delta COVID very, I don't know much about it. 
Who knows? This will be the next killer. Run into your houses, quarantine again. What's, what's going to be the thing there? Who knows? Anxiety everywhere. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. Does it trouble you? Some think it's the end of the world. Some think it's fake. Does it matter? Where is your peace? Where is my peace? Is it in the Lord? Is it grounded and settled in him? Let's proclaim this message to the world. Let's proclaim this message to the world. I'll close with this verse. Acts 22. Acts 22 and verse 16. Seb. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins calling on the name of the Lord. Lord bless you. Thank you, brother, for those words. And I say amen. Appreciate the clarity that it was given in and as I thought about that picture that you shared, that little boy being stuck there in the mud, I, and I had to think about Zeb, and, and I, I've, that beautiful thought that Zeb's been pulled out of that. And it wouldn't be much of a gospel message if we had to look at Zeb now and say, Zeb, we're going to baptize you, but a week from now, you're going to be back there in that mud again. You just aren't going to be able to help it. It's just can't help it. It's, it's where it's at. You're going to have to go back to sin, back to the, back to the frogs, back in the mud hole. And, uh, but we hope you have a good week. We hope you have a good, good day today. We hope you can remember this. That really wouldn't be much of a gospel. But what we heard today is that you can be pulled out of that mud pile, with all the filth and all the stench of sin, and that, Zeb, if you go back to that, it'll be because you chose to do it. Not because God's grace wasn't sufficient, not because the power of the blood was not powerful enough to take all your sins away, not because you just had to do it. If you go back to that mud pile again, it'll be because you chose to do it. And that's the judgment that when we come before the almighty judgment seat of Christ, we're going to be judged not because we had to sin, but because we chose to sin. I'm thankful that we heard a very clear message that we don't have to do that. God's grace is sufficient. The Holy Spirit indwelling us who've been cleansed and been washed, had that sin taken away. The power of that blood is sufficient that we can be kept unspotted. May God give you the grace for that. So I say amen to the word. It is really a joy to be able to have um, everyone gathered here. And uh, we're thankful for this opportunity. thought maybe I'd just give a little bit of uh, logistics here as we head out for the baptism. We're going to open these doors. And we're going to ask everybody to move out that way, out to the pond. I think, brothers, if we can have you kind of file out first, obviously, um, so that the ladies can come that way as well. Uh, but I'd like everybody, when we're out there, maybe to get as close to the, to the beach there as we can. Uh, when we've had baptisms out there in the past, we're going to ask Zeb uh, to make a covenant. And for most of us, we're familiar with what that is. We'll ask Zeb a number of questions and ask him to make that covenant. But it's going to be difficult for you to hear. So we'd like you to come up. I, you still might not be able to hear. But as we do that, uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar, um, that's what we're doing. We're, we're asking Zeb to make a covenant with, with his God. But come up as close as you can. We'll have the baptism. Uh, Directly following the baptism, we'll, we'll sing, if, if everybody would take their songbooks out with them, we'll sing from, uh, I believe it's 209.
Um, once we get out there, is it 209, Andrew? We'll sing maybe half of those verses before the baptism. And then uh, after the baptism, we'll, we'll sing the remaining amount. And then we'll have uh, a prayer of consecration and laying on of hands after that. From there, we'll ask Zeb. Uh, we'll go get changed. And then we'll have Zeb come in here, and he'll stand. And then we'll have a greeting line to go through. Uh, for all that would like to stay, we'll have a, a light meal. And uh, we'll look forward to the, the fellowship there after that. So I think with that, if you grab your songbooks, we'll head out that way. And uh, we'll have the baptism then. Thank you.